entering the Freedom Hut. Is a shelter-in-place order coming to New York City? Will it be followed with different orders like it in cities and perhaps towns across the country? Plus, how is this economic rescue package coming along? Is the Department of Defense going to be called in? And I've got at least one idea to try to help ease this period for folks who are on the front lines. We've got that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, being here. Thank you for joining me. During what is clearly a very challenging time in this country, Um, we are in the midst of a pandemic, or at least pandemic preparations, the likes of which we have never seen before. Uh, Understandably, people are deeply, deeply concerned about this. I don't think the word concern even really covers the feeling right now of a lot of folks across the country. Um, And I mean this in all seriousness. So I'm going to try to stay with my overall promise to you that I I will limit to the degree that I can unnecessary partisan commentary during the show. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be any because there's always and we're going to be in this for months. Okay, meaning that there's going to be this problem. I don't know what degree, but coronavirus is here for months at a minimum. Uh, maybe not to the same level we're seeing it now with the different and we're going to walk through all this together, give you all the latest on everything. But um, this is a moment in time when we can take a step back and be people first before we are politicos, before we are partisans. Uh, there will be some pushback that I'll have to do, and, and that will even come today, uh, against anyone who is um, lying about the president, trying to make it harder for us, trying to make things more difficult for the president's response team to do everything they're trying to do. But overall... We will be in a position, I think, where we can say, "Okay, let's focus first here on what's really happening, what we know is going on. You know, I'm I'm here in New York and we're about to in the next 24 hours find out because de Blasio, the mayor here, has said that it'll be that time period uh, when he determines in consultation with the state, because really the city doesn't have those full police powers without the state say so. And, and, you know, quarantine powers are very tied into police powers. Uh, public health authorities are at the state level. You know, it's not like a city can decide, oh, we're a, a corona free zone, so we'll do whatever we want. But we might have a situation like what they have in San Francisco, where you're just not really allowed to leave your house unless you're considered essential personnel or you're going to get food or medicine. And that's it. Forget about social distancing. This is the end of socializing. And... I'm going to try to strike as much of a balance as I can as we go through this. I'm hopeful that within a few weeks we will feel much better about this whole situation than we do right now. We'll feel like at least it's somewhat under control. I am hopeful about that. I can't guarantee it, obviously. No one can guarantee much of anything these days. Uh, the economy is in a terrifying spot. Now, how, how frightened should we be of the virus? That really remains to be seen. We have to see what the numbers are. But if the economy stays like this, we've never been through something like this before. This isn't one sector dragging everything down. This isn't one um, aspect of our 
you know, fiscal policy that's causing all kinds of problems. We are going to be in for a, a terrible economic ride here across the board because we are in the midst of what is effectively a total freeze on the economy. Uh, this is this is going to be rough. The economic side is definitely going to be rough. There's no question about that. And I think that you can even see, and I'm sorry, as I sit here, I'm sometimes force myself to pause because I go, oh, I just touched my face. I, I can't stop the, I, you know, I only do it when I'm home. But when you realize how often you touch your face, then you realize how much more you need to wash your hands. It's tough to escape this stuff. It's with you all the time. It stays in your mind constantly. So to give you a sense of just how bad the circumstances really are right now, you have people who are very quick and have been very quick to be deeply critical of the president on everything. And I would say, in many cases, unfairly critical of the president. You have some of those people coming forward to say, OK, let's actually handle this as adults and the president's doing a good job. Here is uh, Governor Cuomo of New York, for example. Play clip three. This government has done uh, somersaults. It's performed better than ever before. I am telling you, this government cannot meet this crisis without the resources and capacity of the federal government. Uh, I spoke to the president this morning again. Uh, he is ready, willing, and able to help. I've been speaking with members of his staff late last night, early this morning. We need their help, especially on the hospital capacity issue. We need FEMA. FEMA has tremendous resources. When I was at HUD, I worked with FEMA. I know what they can do. I know what the Army Corps of Engineers can do. Uh, they have a capacity that we simply do not have. I said to the president, uh, who is a New Yorker, who I've known for many, many years, I put my hand out in partnership. I want to work together 100 uh, percent. I need your help. I want your help. Uh, and New Yorkers will do everything they can to be good partners with the federal government. I think the president was 100 percent sincere in saying that he wanted to work together. Uh, in partnership, in a spirit of cooperation, he has taken evidence that uh, his team has been on it. I know a team when they're on it, and I know a team when they're not on it. His team is on it. They've been responsive late at night, early in the morning, uh, and they've uh, thus far been doing everything that they can do. And I want to say thank you, and I want to say that I appreciate it. All right. What is he really referring to in terms of the imminent fight ahead? I mean, that's the governor of New York. New York, just because of population density, is now there's there are the most cases in New York and we are going to end up having the most fatalities here. And this will also be viewed, I think, as a test case because if social distancing and the policies that they're putting in place can work here, they can obviously work anywhere. A lot of you listening to this live in parts of the country where there are far fewer cases. There's far less uh, human population density to worry about in the first place. So if it can work in New York, it'll obviously work out in Indiana, Texas, Utah, Minnesota, you name it, right? A lot of places where this will be able to be much more easily, I think, put into effect. It's going to be painful for everybody, but it's more difficult here than it is in other places. 
So then that brings me to the hospital bed issue. Here's what we're being told. The 15 days to flatten the curve. Everyone's been crunching the numbers on what's happening in Italy and and flatten the curve has become a phrase, almost a a rallying cry now for people who want there to be uh, very serious, immediate, severe measures taken to avoid the fate of Italy, which is really what everyone points to right now. And I would note that Spain and France and Germany It's not clear how far behind Italy they are. But what happened in Italy was you had too many infections too quickly at the same time. And the hospital system is just overwhelmed, meaning they do not have enough ICU beds. They don't have enough medical practitioners. A lot of their medical practitioners got COVID-19. A lot of them came down with the disease. Wuhan virus. Again, I'm going to call it the different things because there's a lot of things that we can call it. But that's uh, that's what ended up being the case in Italy. And we can see that and look at the projections of infections there on a time graph, number of infections and number of a uh, number of days that have passed. And we are considered to be about eight to 10 days right now behind where Italy was before their crisis uh, completely exploded um, or, or perhaps we're even eight to 10 days behind Italy, period. I mean, it depends on how you're going to line up the numbers what part what part of the north of italy we're talking about or if we're just talking about some cities some sections so we're not far behind them and we're trying to make sure that we don't have a situation here where the icu beds are all full because then people show up and they say i can't breathe Uh, if they're in the high-risk population i'm having trouble breathing i think i have i think i have uh covid19 what can we do about this and the response will be we're going to do everything we can, but we don't have if we take somebody else off a ventilator, that person's going to die. So you get into this really horrible, inhumane, but unavoidable first come, first serve to the ventilator situation, which is terrifying to people. So we are trying to avoid that here. And that's what the flatten the curve mantra is all about. Uh, we have efforts being made now to get ahead of this. The Army Corps of Engineers, Department of Defense, uh, you know, the military has an ability to set up field hospitals that may be happening now. There's a lot of discussion about taking perhaps empty university space because the universities have all been emptied out across the country pretty much, uh, taking them and setting up additional hospital beds, setting up additional facilities. As I've been saying, this is considered an all it is an all hands on deck situation. Now we know now we know that. This disease is more dangerous than the flu. It is more severe and it's very, very highly infectious. SARS years ago was terrifying until we realized that you really weren't able to pass on SARS unless you had the extreme symptoms of SARS. The problem we're having with COVID-19 is that they think now people are not only do they not know they're infected, but they're they're spreading the infection while not having any symptoms, which just means that no matter how judicious a person is about public announcements and everything else unless they social distance whether they have symptoms or not they may be spreading the virus to other people so that's that's where this is right now and you know then there's the the troubling analysis that we saw that you're seeing probably this morning about how long this is going to last i want to get into the timelines a little bit here and also just a promise to you we're going to talk about some other things today i will always uh take any suggestions for just either history deep dives or subject matter that you want me to address here on the show because 
we're in for a long haul, certainly weeks, maybe months. This story is not going away. Journalists are not chasing anything else. There's not a lot of other information gathering going on out there right now because this is the single biggest problem facing all of humanity. Not climate change, by the way, but I'll try to keep the climate change snark to a minimum for now. Glad we had the community of world scientists focusing for the last decade on something that's a non-problem when a problem like this was sneaking up on us and people knew it was just a matter of time. And now here we are facing a depression and I don't even know how you can describe the disruptions of life that we might be under. This is also where I tell you, we will get through. We will be okay. I'm here for you. You are here for me. And in the end, we're all going to be all right. But it's going to be a rough ride. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I mean, look, this is just coming back to where this conversation started after the press conference. I hear what Sanjay is saying about uh, Tony Fauci giving, you know, a little bit more wiggle room than, than others. But if you look at the big picture, this was remarkable from the president of the United States. This is a nonpartisan. This is um, an important thing to note uh, and to applaud from an American standpoint, from, an, from a human standpoint. He is... Um, being the kind of leader that people need, at least in tone, today and yesterday, in tone that people need and want and yearn for in times of crisis and uncertainty. When a CNN political analyst, that was Donna Bash at CNN, is saying the president's leadership is needed right now and he's doing a good job, and and I, I mean this in all honesty, you know it's serious. I haven't heard anything like that from anybody who works for that news organization in over three years. I've heard a completely consistent stream of the exact opposite, actually, that President Trump was a traitor and horrible and ruining the country and a threat to democracy. And now we see what is effectively a threat to humanity. And it does remind us all of what a bunch of petty nonsense the country was put through for years. You know, we could have been focusing on real problems, real challenges, things like infectious disease, dealing with poverty, dealing with upward mobility. We we could have done that. That could have been where the media's, uh, the media's attention was. But no, instead, it was just a steady stream of Trump hatred. They do bear responsibility, not just for crying wolf, which certainly slowed some of the recognition that the country had about the severity of this, because the media says everything Trump does is horrible. And they say anything that challenge, any challenge that Trump faces, he's not up to. So that affected the analysis that many of us did on whether or not this should be taken as the pandemic or expected to be the pandemic that it is. And then you also have the reality of the media using its focus of the public's attention, which does direct things like resources, which does have real effects. Uh, That focus of the public's attention that could have been put to productive use, but instead was put to anti-Trump derangement uh, purposes that were a complete waste, a complete waste of everybody's time. A total, utter, shocking waste. And, uh, and it's appalling. And they've abdicated the responsibility they have to the American people. Now, all right, I'm getting a little more political than I meant to, but I do have to. I, I also want to say, you know, thank you to Donna Bash for, and I know it's spelled Dana, but it actually is pronounced Donna. Um, thank you to Donna Bash for being honest about the situation. People need honesty right now. We need truth. 
We don't need partisan hacks. We don't need people that are trying to score cheap points. And this is why and I know for some of you, it's like nails on a chalkboard. But, you know, when I when I play the, the uh, Cuomo audio for you in New York, when I've played Newsom saying that Trump's administration has been really helpful, um, I, I think it's necessary that we encourage truth telling from all sides and from anybody right now. And to the degree that we can put partisanship aside. So I, I mentioned the, the fight to get enough beds in place. And we're going to know really quickly if their projections and everything that we're being told about this are true. Uh, we're going to know in the next two to three weeks. We're going to know if what they've been saying about how desperately we need to stop the spread of this is accurate. So meaning and, and that the numbers that they're projecting, are they coming true? Because we're doing all this and we're going to we're going to extremes here. You know, this is we're effectively uh, shutting down our economy in order to stop what they say is the curve or, you know, from sp stop the spike and flatten the curve. Um, there are some challenges that that comes with that are not even really thought through, I think, at this point. One of them being that eventually people are just going to non comply and the state's going to have a very hard time telling people that you don't get to live your life when you have a 99% chance. This is just reality. I'm just saying it. You don't get to live your life because there's a 99% chance you'll be okay, but there are other people who won't be. Eventually, people are going to say, I'm, I'm going to take the risk. That's what's going to So we'll get into this, and this is setting up something of, a, of an intergenerational tension that everyone's picking up on right now uh, as well. But the fight over beds and preparation for the spike that is right now you have to remember we are up 10 times in a week nationwide the cases here we will be up five to ten times the number of cases next week as more testing happens more cases will appear and as more cases appear there'll be greater anxiety about just how widespread this disease really is so we have to focus right now on that 15-day, now 13-day period that the president has been talking about. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, this is where I have to take a moment to tell you that sometimes the press are, in fact, the enemies of the people. That's a real, a real thing. Um, some journalists right now are doing excellent work, and we need them to be bringing us facts and stories. So I'm not... I'm not uh, using this as an opportunity to besmirch all journalists uh, far from it. Uh, I'm, I mean, I technically I work in the media, so I'm in some ways part of the extended journalist family, I guess. But the New York Times went with a story right now when people are at this degree of uh, of extreme unease and remember panic, the word that I think I don't know if I've explained on this show. Interesting derivation of it comes from the Greek god of the woods, Pan who had the legs of a goat and little horns and played a flute. People know the pan flute. Uh, panic is uh, panic uh, comes from panikos in ancient Greece, which was the feeling you had if you were in the woods. And they're not sure if it's if you saw pan because it was a terrifying and scary situation or if you're just in pan's realm, the woods away from civilization, away from, uh, you know, your family and your protectors. And so you have extreme anxiety that that comes on. That's. That's where the word panic comes from, which I think is interesting because you're hearing it constantly right now. But we are in this this moment in time where things are particularly uh, uneasy. I think that's a gentle way of saying it. 
and I'm right in the middle of it. I mean, I, I am doing the show right now from uh, from Midtown Manhattan. Well, I, I could walk over to Times Square in a matter of minutes and it would be empty. It looks like that scene from Vanilla Sky, one of my least favorite movies of all time, by the way. I, I put Vanilla Sky in the 10 worst movies I've ever seen, maybe even the five worst movies I've ever seen in the theater. It was god awful. But there's a scene where Times Square is completely empty and it's like a dream sequence. It's like that right now. I mean, you might see a handful of people walking around, but usually you would see hundreds, maybe a thousand or two. Right. You'd see a lot of people in Times Square and uh, it's out because people are scared. So we're trying to get ready for the influx. That is, according to all experts, I, I don't know an expert who disagrees with this. I haven't seen one, I should say. The influx of people who are infected with COVID-19 and are having trouble breathing and they get sent, they, they go to the hospital and they need really serious help and, and not it's not like they go in they get patched up and they get they're out in a day they're going to be on ventilators for a couple of weeks two three four weeks so each ventilator that someone gets on is taken offline for a long period of time and the president was on a conference call with governors from around the nation and this is what the new york times reported trump to governors on ventilators try getting it yourselves and people were reporting this as wow how could he? Oh, he's so awful. Respirators, ventilators, all the equipment. Try getting it yourselves. Uh, and there were people, the New York Times, who were sharing this like this was uh, an appalling thing for the, for the president to say. Well, he also said the full quote is, we will be backing you, but try getting it yourselves. Point of sales, much, much better, much more direct if you can get it yourself. This was treated as, as yet another uh, another moment to criticize the president when all he's saying is do everything you can i mean the federal government's going to help you as much as it can but guess what the federal government's not perfect doesn't have all the resources it needs right now because it just draws upon the resources of the people we weren't ready for this we're not really prepared for this so if the states have a better way of getting some of this they should just do it you know if you see something on amazon are you going to wait for the state authorities to deliver to your door you're just going to say i'm going to buy that that's all he's saying. And it was reported on as uh, the president's being, you know, unfeeling and he doesn't care and you know, all, all this other stuff. Just just pure and utter garbage. Uh, and the president notably annoyed by this. Play clip 12. Uh, and yesterday I gave the governors the right to go order directly if they want, if they feel they can do it faster than going through the federal uh, government. Now, we've knocked out all of the bureaucracy. It's very direct, but it's still always faster to order directly. And I gave them that was totally misinterpreted by The New York Times on purpose, unfortunately. But yeah, they did completely misinterpret it and they used it as a cheap shot opportunity against the president. And it's really it's really uh, appalling. But that's where we are. And that's that's still going to continue to happen. People view all of this as an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to score political points against an administration that they hate. That really gave us I mean, the, the first three years of Trump were the three best years in this country uh, in my adult life. I, I honestly believe that. I knew it wasn't going to last. I knew we were going to have a war or something. I didn't know it was going to be this. We're going to have a massive recession. We're going to have some problem that came up, uh, you know, have a socialist takeover of the country. That was a concern. It looks like that's not going to happen. Biden crushed Bernie last night in the primaries. Here we are. Biden's going to be 
too old for the job, not very bright, not very impressive. Biden is supposed to be the savior of the country. We'll, we'll get to that later. Let's focus on let's focus on what's going on right here right now. So you've got just by the numbers so I can really make it clear to you why there's such a, a concern right now over hospital beds. You've got over 180,000 people across the world who are confirmed to have COVID-19 and you have at least Wuhan virus. By the way, please don't tell me to call one thing. I'm just, there's a lot of things people are calling it. I'm not not calling it Wuhan virus because it's just COVID-19 is easier to say. Uh, but you've got at least 7,000 deaths around the world. It's going to be a lot more. It's going to be a lot more than that. And now, yeah, a bad flu season will kill 60 to 80,000 people in the United States alone. So that's real. But this is different and worse than the flu. We're there. I was really hoping that was not going to be the case. I was really hoping we could sit here and just say it's just the flu part two, but it's not. No one now who studies this, no one now who looks at this uh, is, is claiming otherwise. So, you know, this is where we get to the shelter in place declaration that looks like it's already happened in San Francisco. It looks like it may happen here in New York City. Uh, New York State has 1,700 cases, and I know you guys live in different states, but this is now going to be the test case for, because we're going to have the most, the most uh, people confirmed to have the disease, and you're going to see the greatest influx of resources probably in the hospital system here because it's going to need it. 1,700 cases, probably by the end of the day, it'll be closer to 2,000. Almost 1,000 cases in New York City alone, and... Uh, a rough estimate is that whatever we think the number is, it's 10 times that number. So if we think there are 1,000 cases in New York City, there are 10,000 cases in New York City. If there are 10,000 cases in New York City, meaning people that actually have the disease, a lot of them don't know it, most of them don't know it, they're walking around, they're infecting people. Now, there's 8 million people, 8.5 or so million people in New York, which means that obviously a lot of people don't have it, but 10,000, if you spread it to two people at a time, and they spread it to two people, and they spread it to two people, exponential growth means that you're going to have roughly half the city in a pretty short order of time that has this. That's what would happen if you just allowed people to go about their lives and do everything. So we are hoping to bring down that number so that there are enough beds because when we get to ten or 15,000 people who are hospitalized with this, which will happen relatively quickly based on the numbers we're already seeing, there need to be the resources in place to treat them. So we we are right now uh, waiting for the onslaught. I mean, this is a little bit like we're in the front line of an infantry battle. You know, we're in the front line of the phalanx and we can see the enemy coming over the crest of, of the hill across from us. And it is big and it is a scary looking enemy. And we have to just sort of wait for it. You know, I've, I've been talking to friends about how the city after 9-11, we were scared but we also knew right away, many of us, I think, had a, uh, a change in mentality to, OK, now this means this means war. And when you're fighting against a human enemy, no matter how terrifying their tactics and how uh, evil they may be, as Al Qaeda was and is, you know that they're vulnerable. I mean, to borrow from Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Predator movie, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Right. It's one of his better better lines than what is, I think, arguably the arguably the five one of the five greatest action movies of all time, if not number one. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Human beings bleed. So we know that we can take out any human enemy if we just have the the skill, the grit, the determination. Viruses don't bleed. 
Now they can die, but we can't go really and seek them out to eradicate them. We are playing defense. We are on defense inherently uh, when we're dealing with a viral pandemic like this. And that feels bad. That feels even more uneasy in a lot of ways. There's not going to be any revenge here. There's not going to be any justice. No one's ever going to, you know, kick in bin Laden's front door and shoot him in the face because he gave us a virus, right? I mean, this is, there's, there's never going to, yeah, I'm going to talk about the situation with China, which is complicated and really bad, but there's no one person you're going to be able to point to and say is responsible for this. And, and even trying to hold one nation state responsible would be a very, difficult thing and what would that even mean Um, because it's really the regime it's the chinese communist party that you would blame for this it's not the people of china and we have the same issue with iran it's the iranian regime that is our enemy iran's dealing with a terrible outbreak there Um, it's not the iranian people that are our enemy so we are at this point in time when we just have to do everything that we can make all the preparations possible you know for those of you that are fans of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This is the viral pandemic equivalent of Helm's Deep. And we are just trying to put a sword in everybody's hand who can swing one and hunker down and get ready for it. Because that's what's it's about to hit us. It's about to hit us really hard. Those of you that are still skeptics, I think there are very few of them now, but there are some who listen to this who I know are still skeptical of how serious this is going to be. We can sacrifice two weeks of economic activity and all this. We can sacrifice two weeks in order to find out if the projections of the experts are right. We can't take a gamble and assume the experts are wrong and let this thing go on without these measures for another two to three weeks. That's the truth. That's where we are. One of them we can recover from. The other one is catastrophic. And and think about what a great day it would be if I have to sit here and I mean, I'll be laughing and slapping high fives at producer Mark and man, they were crazy. They were so they were way off. You know, Samsonite, they were way off. Um, but I think that's a one percent chance at this point. I, I could be wrong, but I haven't seen a single expert make a case that we're not about to see a big surge. Now, there are some variables i want to give you some positive notes here because i know on the drudge report there's this get ready for 18 months of social distancing story i saw that too i read the whole thing i'm reading all i'm reading the catastrophists and i'm reading the slightly less catastrophist because that's really all there is these days versions of events but i want to give you some of the up some of the uh, possible positives here and some of the upside and and then we'll talk a bit about also the generational issue in fact maybe i'll do the generational issue first because that's going to play a very large role in how the fight against Wuhan virus. And, and then we'll get into the situation with China and how we even got here. And I think this is going to play into the long-term relationship between U.S. and China in very troubling ways. If this is as bad as some people are anticipating, there's going to be a backlash against China and the Chinese government from the whole world, but from America in particular, because they are responsible for this situation in many ways. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
Now we're going to find out if everything has a risk. We're going to see. But if people do what we're telling them to do, what we're asking them to do, you're going to see the saving of a lot of lives. Now, Boris, uh, in UK yesterday, you saw what happened. Uh, it looked like they were going a different way, but then he went away of similar, I guess similar, I don't know exactly, but I, I would say we had a conversation yesterday uh, similar to what we're doing. So a lot of people seem to think this is going to be, we are, we are looking to save the maximum number of lives. Everything else is going to come back. A life is never going to come back. But everything else, our economy is going to come roaring back. You're going to know. We're going to know. We're going to all know that day. Somebody was asking about the day. When will you know? When will you know? We're going to know. All of a sudden, we're going to say, wow, that's looking good. That's looking good. That's looking good. And we're going to be on the other side of the curve. And that's a day that we look forward to. He's right. The day will come. But right now, it's all about life preservation. And life preservation means focusing on protecting, but also increasingly it will be focusing on treating the more vulnerable members of our population, particularly the over 70 age group. Over 60 is in higher risk, over 70 is in very high risk. I think the Italian data shows that if somebody is over 90, they have a uh, about almost a 20 percent chance of dying if they get this. Which is which is very that's very high, right? And that means if you have five people in their night, you, you can do the math. Obviously, that's scary. So there are a lot of people who are uh, deeply concerned about this. And um, at this moment in time, particularly if you have anybody in your life that's vulnerable, you understand what the what the risks are and what's going to. And you've you've heard this from the president himself. I mean, he's he's concerned about this. He's worried. So those who think that this is some. Uh, media you know, plot to destroy Trump. Or, and I think that's, by the way, overblown by the pe- people that do want to destroy Trump. But they're saying there's this consensus of people on the right who think that this was all a hoax. That's all been a lie. No one's thought that. We're just trying to make good decisions as we go through it. Uh, but here, here's what the president himself, if you think, because I, I did get a lot of, I got a lot of messages last week. Buck, I think you're drinking the Kool-Aid. Buck, I think you're too worried about this. Well, here's what the president of the United States, who doesn't back down to anybody and is not scared of anything. Uh, Here's what he's saying about this. Play 15. Last night, the FDA announced groundbreaking new policies to further increase testing, very substantially so. Uh, All states can now authorize tests developed and used within their borders in addition uh, to the FDA. So uh, the states are very much involved. They have been involved from the beginning, but uh, we're stepping it up as much as we can. And the testing procedures are going well. Uh, And within a short period of time, all of the private labs will kick in. This has never been done before. Okay, sorry, I actually called for the wrong clip. That's not on producer Mark. I meant uh, Mark uh, 14 on what he's asking everybody to do, but that was important on the testing, too. Our guidance yesterday urges Americans to take action for 15 days to help stem the outbreak. So it's a 15-day period. I guess uh, now we'd say it's a 14-day period. It's 15 days from yesterday, and we're asking everyone to work at home if possible, postpone unnecessary travel, and limit social gatherings to no more than 10 people. By making shared sacrifices and temporary changes, we can protect the health of our people, and we can protect our economy, because I think our economy will come back very rapidly. So it's 15 days from yesterday. We'll see what happens after that. If we do this right, uh, our country and, and the world, frankly, but our country can be rolling again pretty quickly, pretty quickly. We need some optimism from the commander in chief, which is good. But you're hearing it from the man himself. 
This is this is go time right now, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The millennials are incredibly good about getting information out in a clear way, but more importantly, they are incredibly good about understanding how to protect one another, how to protect their parents, and how to protect their grandparents. Right now, we need the army of millennials out there doing everything that they can to protect themselves from getting infected because we know a lot of their cases will be mild or asymptomatic Mm. and making sure that they're doing every single precaution to protect their parents and grandparents. So that was uh, the coronavirus response coordinator, Dr. Deborah Burks, who is saying, look, we need to make sure that the young people don't think that because this is less likely to have serious impact on them, that they should just ignore the quarantine orders, ignore all of the massive steps that we're going through right now. I mean, there's all this uh, photo and uh, video evidence, not that they're making a criminal case here, but there's all this stuff out there from Clearwater, Florida, other other spring break hotspots in Florida uh, in particular, where people are just deciding that they're going to go and party and they don't really care and that's the way it's going to be. So there's this big focus right now on younger people, uh, people in their 20s, people in their 30s. You know, I'm kind of right in the in-between zone, almost 40. So um, I'm not really on the young side. I'm not really on the high-risk side. I'm sort of somewhere else in the middle. So I feel like I'm a fair, a fair arbiter in this process of what's 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 right and what's not. Uh, Here's the Surgeon General also directing his attention to millennials and the need to have them play ball with all these different restrictions and orders. Play 21. A question I often get asked is why should young people care about the spread of coronavirus? Well, we know that people with underlying medical conditions over the age of 60 are at highest risk, but they've got to get it from somebody. And it's why during our 15 days to slow the spread initiative, we're encouraging young people to avoid large gatherings of 10 people or more, because we know that if you get coronavirus, you're at risk for spreading it to someone else. All right. Let's see if they will abide by that. Certainly for... 15 uh, for 15 days it seems like a completely fair and realistic request what happens if the reports you're seeing that this social distancing is supposed to continue to take place well into the fall well into next year what if 12 months from now the government is still i don't think this will happen but let's just talk about it for a second because there are experts who are saying here's the here's the fundamental problem folks let's say we let's say we have perfect lockdown which we don't but we have perfect lockdown and we see the, the number of cases, the number of fatalities start to go down. Let's say it goes down into the hundreds, which would be a miracle. But let's say it does that in this country. Active cases. Testing is everywhere. All right. Now we go back to normal life. Boom. All of a sudden you could have another massive outbreak of this disease here in this country. And so that's why we're going to be dealing with moderated, I think, uh, you know, modifications to these measures that are put in place right now. We're not going to be able to deal with, you know, we're we're not going to have like victory day here anytime soon. Millennials are going to get tired of this. They're going to say, so I don't get to have a wedding. I don't get to go outside. I don't get to live my life. I don't get to work because the older generation feels like they're at higher risk. I'm just saying this is this is a risk that people are this this tension is already being written about Wall Street Journal. 
had a, had a, an editorial about it today. We're going to get to that point, and eventually, th- that's why there, there's limited time here. There's limited time for the economy, and there's also limited time for compliance. People are saying we're going to do this for a year. No, we're not. You know why? People that are at relatively low risk, you've got three, maybe six months to really get this thing under control before they're just going to start saying, you know, tough. What are you going to do? You're going to send the cops? You're going to arrest everybody under, under 30? This is going to be it's going to get bad. So keep that in mind. That's why there's this uh, desire, I think, to go specifically to millennials and try to get them to take a, a different approach here than some of them are where they're just saying. And there's these videos of like the girl who's licking the toilet seat. And there's a lot of really stupid stuff going on around there. There's all these guys who are on spring break. who You know, look, I get it. They're 19 or 20. But they're like, I mean, I'm not like in the high risk category and like. All my friends are here, and so I just want to, like, party this, you know, spring break, and I don't really care. And <sighs> I mean, I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I wish that everybody would just go along with the plan here for a week or two. But, and I know those of you that live off the grid or have been preparing for years and years, and you got plenty of food, your own supply of fresh water, not, don't have a lot of neighbors around you, aren't relying on state services... Congratulations. The reality that you were warning all the rest of us about, especially as I sit here and am surrounded by skyscrapers in, in Manhattan. The reality is uh, the reality that you've been warning about is is actually coming upon us right now. So I know people mocked people made so many jokes and I was part of preparedness campaigns when I was at the blaze. Some of our very excellent sponsors telling people just get ready, get ready for a situation just like this. And now we're in it. So I, I can't help but think about that for a moment, that there was so much, oh, the lib media loved to, ooh, people, they, they love to poke fun at anybody that believes in personal preparedness. And they're not laughing now, that's for sure. Um, I, I did have you uh, play that testing, the clip about Donald Trump saying that there's testing that's going to start bringing in private labs. That's a big, that's a game changer. I mean, they should have gone with that as quickly as possible. The CDC mistakes right now, we all know the CDC messed up with the testing. And initially, it got so much attention because they thought they could blame Trump for it. But, I mean, if Trump's telling the head of the CDC, all right, let's get that test out, guys, and the CDC makes a faulty test, is Donald Trump supposed to design the test? And what's really fair to ask? What's really the the reality of that situation? So I look at this now and I say, oh, uh, there's also the defense Production Act that has been invoked, which is a, a made. This just got uh, this just broke today. This means that the federal government will be able to say, all right. We want masks, we want uh, whatever it is that need to be, you know, ventilators. They're going to be able to fulfill those contracts. And it's going to be uh, something that the government now can essentially just write checks to get stuff done and probably set up their own facilities. This is like, you know, Ford Motor Company switching from making Model Ts or whatever. I don't know what they were making, but yeah, that's a Ford car from back in the day. Switch from making sedans to making bomber planes. That's what this will allow for. This is the federal government now getting in a position to ramp up and do its own production, effectively be the... This is 
state this is state capitalism now on this issue on this one sector uh this is state controlled capitalism at work which is a good thing leveraging the private sector having the federal government writing the checks for it this needs to happen right now this is a temporary measure all the people and i know there's a lot out there right now who are saying uh universal basic income has won because now even republicans are saying no this is an emergency measure it's like the things that we did the things that we said after 9-11 and the things that we did as a country were not i mean in some cases they ended up extending longer but they were not supposed to be all permanent measures in extreme circumstances there are certain things that the government needs to do that it would not be appropriate or wise for it to do under normal circumstances we are in as much of an extreme as you will find when it comes to a pandemic we have faced nothing really like this since 1918 and that's where we are so we might as well understand that and accept it and make the best of the situation we can right now um, and that's what I'm, I'm hoping that these next couple of weeks we show a real imp- a really impressive national resolve our first line responders our our medical community also the people that are delivering food in our food chain i mean if you want to see true hysteria that will come if we have disruptions to our food supply if the internet goes down electricity goes off people you know i don't think we're heading for any of that by the way i really don't but the people that are making sure we don't head there they deserve our eternal thanks and gratitude and you know it's a real reminder that you know that person who's who's bagging groceries for you these days but but any day they're doing something that's necessary they're doing something that helps society and right now they're doing it at personal risk this is why I was saying yesterday, and I did last night, I, I ordered in some food. I'm trying to get in some orders from restaurants that I think w- might close soon, but haven't closed yet. And I'm just, I'm, I'm tipping everybody double what I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good tipper. I believe in tipping well. I'm a double every, t- everyone who delivers, whatever my usual delivery uh, thing was uh, in the past, double every time now. And it's a little thing, and maybe it's a gesture, maybe it's just, See, I wouldn't say it's not virtue signaling because it's actually virtuous because it's the right thing to do. And I want other people to do it, too. If you can, if you can afford it, if you live in a place where there's a lot of food delivery or if you're trying to do everything you can to make sure that this continues on as is. So, uh, well, continues on and and there'll at least be some ability for the restaurant community to to bounce back. Uh, The economic catastrophe that's unfolding right now. If we didn't have a disease that was threatening to kill large numbers of our fellow americans the economic calamity would keep us up late at night so look this government has its hands full we have not faced anything like this in my lifetime but i want to talk to you about the china situation and the chinese role in all of this too we'll get to that you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast China uh, was putting out information which was false, that our military gave this to them. That was false. And uh, rather than having an argument, I said, uh, I have to call it where it came from. It did come from China. Could critics say, using that phrase, creates a stigma? No, I don't think so. No, I think saying that our military gave it to them creates a stigma. I think that that's pretty straightforward, and I praise Donald Trump for standing his ground there as the leader of this government in this country when the press seems to just want to play along with Chinese government propaganda, our press. 
David Harsanyi joins us now. He's been writing about this. He's senior writer at National Review. David, thanks again. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Um, what the heck is going on here? Why are we hearing all of this Chinese propaganda, all these Chinese government talking points from our press? Uh, they can't be. I, actually, no, I can never say that. There are a lot of really dumb journalists, but I'd like to think that they're not this dumb. But it seems to me that if they're not so stupid as to believe what China is putting out, then they're almost rooting for Trump to get more blame than China. Well, what is going on here? I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is obviously this ingrained necessity to uh, to blame Donald Trump for everything that happens. It's destructive and it's, I think, rendered the press in many ways, you know, or many people in the press useless, useless to us in any real way other than entertainment. And that's uh, that, that's a disaster in many ways, because we th these are the times right now that we actually need uh, good journalism and we don't have it. Um, so I think that that's one of the driving parts of it. I'm not sure about the other parts. I mean, I, I see people I mean, I see people and I, I don't want to go through names, but I see journalists and columnists, some of them who have written, literally written books about the evils of communism, just repeating Chinese propaganda right Are now. Are you talking about, how about they, I don't know, somebody who wrote a book about the famine in Ukraine, whose <laughs> last name rhymes with apple found? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, she's a fantastic, fantastic historian. She wrote a book on the Gulag. You know, she wrote a book on the Iron Curtain. It, it's just, um, I just don't get it. And, uh, but anyway, I don't have to get it. Uh, all we have to get to is the truth, and the truth is... Yeah, well, let's get into that. that. What did China yeah. do here? Well, first of all, you know, a lot of these... Uh, uh, what's the name? I forgot. Zoonic uh, diseases, SARS, this one, many many others actually, are, you know, come from China because, you know, it jumps from animals like bats and snakes and... They're not always exactly sure, but it's because there are these wet markets in, in China where you have, you know, animals that are, in un, you know, unsanitary places, you know. Yeah, you basically pick out your civet in a cage and it's like cramped, horrible conditions and other animals are, you know, excreting on it from cages above it. And they like, you know, lop off its head or whatever. And they hand you some civet kebabs. I mean, that's I've seen video. This is what they actually do. Not good, and you know I mentioned today in a column that I think you know once you're, I'm a big fan of free trade. I think that China has lifted millions of people out of poverty because they've allowed some free trade and capitalism, and that's all wonderful. But if you're going to join modernity, you have to do things like you have to stop eating bats and, try, and and possibly killing all of us with some disease that jumps from you know a bat to 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 St. Louis and to New York, etc. You know, and if the communist government there spent as much time educating its populace and trying to deal with these kind of issues as it does suppressing their speech, as it does with propaganda, as it does with secrecy, we wouldn't have this trouble. And no one would be calling it China virus because they were Chinese virus or what it flu or whatever, because they wouldn't have to. I don't like Chinese, the, the term Chinese virus. I think it should be called China, the uh, Chinese communist virus or Chicom virus, something like that. It's not the Chinese people. Chinese people in large part are victims of just bad authoritarian governance. And so just to, just as a reminder, to everybody, the World Health Organization on January 14th of this year 
put out the following tweet from their official account. Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan, China. That had to be a lie. I mean, I know it was wrong, but they had to have known that. There's no way. Well, yeah, I mean, we now know, and we don't know everything because the Chinese government has, I think, expelled a bunch of journalists and, and obviously is always being secretive. But the Chinese government uh, stopped doctors from communicating about this initially, made some or one doctor or more doctors um, apologize for, for, for panicking. Now, listen, I don't think panic is a good thing. Uh, obviously, you don't want that. I think, you know, initially, I'm sure that it's, it's, a, it's a confusing situation and you're not sure what's going on. But once they already knew, they were still allowing people from the, the, the Wuhan province to move freely in and out. I think, they, I think the Wall Street Journal said five million people were moving about. The Chinese did nothing about that. Um, they were making, still making doctors apologize for, for sharing information with other doctors and, cre- you know, and creating worry about this, etc. You know, it goes on and on. So, uh, and now, you know, we're repeating numbers like China's done a good job in stopping it. And we're, we're using their numbers and news stories as if they're facts. They're, we don't know. Chinese lie about everything. We don't know what's going on in China. Yeah. I mean, do you have any faith that they've really been able to control this as much as they're saying right now? It sounds like they're telling everybody, oh, we're, we're pretty much going to be good here. Methods they use sometimes to get to, to, to get that control. I'm not, you know, are are you, you've seen some of the video of them dragging people away, soldering doors closed, things like that. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe they have, or maybe they haven't. Um, but uh, certainly, we should not trust what they have to tell us. And you know, like I saw a Bloomberg story just now, you know, where Bloomberg says uh, China, Europe has now has more cases than China. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You have no idea how many cases there were in, or are in China. I, mean, I don't trust what China is saying. You can't make definitive statements like that. Yeah, anyway. Bloomberg in particular seems to be a little too, not just the guy, but the to me, the news organization, always a little bit too China-friendly in their countries. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, again, I am a huge free, free trade guy. You want to bring Chinese money here? I'm all for it. But you have news organizations. Let's say the Atlantic. Wait, wait, uh, hey, David, can, I, can you hold for one second? I want to come yeah. back and, and on the flip. Guys, stay with me for one second. We'll continue this conversation with David Harsanya on China. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we're, we're talking to David Harsanyi about China's role in all this, and we're talking about the media, the coverage of this the strange affinity that our own national news media seems to have for Chinese Communist Party talking points through state media. What were you saying, David, right before we took a pause there on uh, the role that China plays in our media? And you you were about to talk about the Atlantic. Um, Let's shell the Atlantic for now. I think the Atlantic's been terrible on this, but let's shell that for now because I don't really know exactly how they get their money. But there are a lot of organizations in this country that have, you know, Chinese money and Chinese investors behind them as well as others. And they're probably worried about insulting certain people, and we can't really have good transparency or a good debate about this as long as that happens. I don't, I don't know that that's the fact in every case, but I think that that might have something to do uh, with the, the way certain people are talking about China. I mean, I know for a fact that you know, behind closed doors I've been told stories about back when the Saudis were considerably more powerful, when oil was, you know— a hundred dollars plus a barrel. Uh, the, the Saudis would tell you know, they were investors in different news organizations, 
And if the Saudi royal family said uh, lay off the whole Wahhabism is, is our main export, not oil, uh, guess what? People did it. Well, so it's not surprising the Chinese would have the same kind of sway in some of these news organizations. Right. And, you know, it's weird because China, it's again, I, I want to stress because there, I'm sure there are some racists out there who now, you know, are, you know, say stupid things about Chinese Americans, etc. Yeah, but there's always China, stupid racists saying stupid things about right. everything. So I mean, it's right. We can't we can't hew all our, our talk about China simply because there are a few idiots out there. They're going to be idiots no matter what you do. The Chinese people themselves are incredibly successful, right? You think about Taiwan, or you think about Singapore, or you think about Malaysia, even where, where there are many Chinese people here in America. It's not the Chinese people that's the, that's the problem. It's, it's Think about Hong Kong and what the Chinese people are capable of. If they were to be allowed to do those things, they wouldn't. we wouldn't have to worry about them in that way. It's the communist government in China that's now the problem and I think it's important to make sure that we talk about it and some people in this country don't want to talk about communism in that way now of course the Chinese government there is not exactly purist you know about their beliefs but it's still an authoritarian place that that acts in in ways that I, I to me are inexplicable sometimes I don't even understand why they do the things they do when they could become just a, an immense powerhouse in this world in a, in a good way um, so it's, it's you know it's something we we're going to have to talk about even after this is over I also think that we're going to see some of the cultural differences at play in dealing with this and and in a sense uh, and this is I, I'm sure that there are some Socio, you know, socioeconomic or sociological studies to this, but I do get the sense that the Chinese people overall are less likely to revolt against government dictates and action than Americans are. I don't think we've got that long here, David, before people just start saying, I don't care what risk this, this puts some people in. I've got to live my life. Do you think that we're going to hit that in a few months or you think that we've got a year? I think that Americans are not going to be inclined to stay in their homes yes. for you know, six months, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, at some point, the people make that determination. And, and, and no matter what the government says, I mean, you know, we're only going to be able to... Right now, the cops are kind of showing up if they see people doing the big gatherings. I think there was a wedding in Brooklyn. They showed up. They're like, all right, everybody, come on, you know. We get it. Like, you're not bad people, but, like, we can't do this right now. Eventually, America... I mean, and in China, it seems like there's, you know, no one's telling the authorities, at least that we see, I mean, that's obviously, we don't really see a lot that goes on there, but we're not seeing anybody saying, no, sorry, like Chinese secret police or whatever, like you don't get to tell us what to do. And that's going to happen here. We don't, no, I, I, Amer I, I, Americans yeah, yeah. are going to say, look, if we lose four or 5%, I mean, this is crazy to think about, but I do think it's reality. In six or eight months, if the economy is in a depression and we're told to stay in our homes, Americans are going to say, if we lose four or 5% of us, like that's just the way this is going to be. We have to go forward. Yeah, I, I absolutely think at some point people make a cost, you know cost-benefit analysis in their heads, you know, lives lost, things like that. I mean, we do that anyway. Quite often, it, you know, we think think about driving, right? You lose, I forget what it is, forty thousand people a year in accidents. We still drive. We don't have five mile per hour speed limits. I think people can get used to any kind, anything, right? And then they go on with their lives in some way, especially people who are younger and feel like they're safe. Uh, you see that now. I mean, there were the pictures of the beaches on Florida packed. You know, I went out here. I live in a, you know, and also noticed that you know some people are blaming like Fox and conservatives aren't taking it seriously. But I'm I'm in a super liberal place. I went out, uh, you know, and, and tons of people are out. They don't seem very nervous about it. They're in the supermarket. There's no social distancing that I could tell. 
And uh, so I wonder if if some people have already made that determination. A lot of people. Right. Uh, and I think that in time, you know, that that's only going to be a more difficult fight. Uh, what What is the what are the biggest uh, moves that you think the government's doing right now on the economic side that will be helpful? It's difficult for me to say, th- you know, I mean, obviously, this is David, not you're supposed even... to have all the answers. That's why you bring, we bring you on the show. Come on, give us something. I know, I know, I noticed that people seem to think they have to have answers for everything, but I, I'm not one of those people. I do not have a good answer for that. Obviously, I would say this. When you had the you know, the recession in 2007 and eight. It was a very different situation because a lot of companies did the wrong thing and a lot of people did the wrong thing. And those, you know, there's something wrong with the economy and, 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 you know, it needed, certain things needed to happen, certain people needed to go out of business. This is some existential threat that is no one's fault. It's not like the airline companies did something to deserve this or anyone did something to deserve this. So uh, it's a different situation and bailouts are a different situation and uh, sending money to people is a different situation. I wonder how much of an effect that's going to have really though if this it drags out for a few months. I, I don't know that you can save industries that just basically have to shut down for three, four months, five, six months. I, I just don't know how you come back from that very quickly. Yeah, I also wonder, you know, we've been talking for a long time about how large the national debt is. I mean, if we're going to start just adding a trillion here, a trillion there, a trillion here, a trillion there with an economy that's effectively on pause, and that's a gentle way of saying it, do people, do we start to get closer to that? I'm, I'm not trying to add to the hysteria that's out there right now, but do people start to get closer to that point where they say, you know, maybe the dollar isn't the reserve currency anymore. Maybe there is a huge run on gold or treasury bonds all of a sudden, you know, aren't the safe haven. I mean, can you, are you worried about that or you think that's too far of course off? Of I'm worried. Yeah, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that. But, you know, I feel like we don't really know yet what we have in some sense. I think it's bad, obviously, no, no matter how you look at it. But I do wonder how, how it's going to look. I, I, I don't ever want to diminish this or say it's not as scary and all that. But when you look at a, like some of the countries that have flattened their curves, you know, and, and dealt with it, you know, I, what we can't. We, we don't know the bad that can come, but we also don't know the good that can come. How fast do we get to a vaccine? Maybe there is a way to mitigate the effects of this thing. As yeah, let, can we talk about the most positive? for Because I feel like I've, I'm like depressing myself today on the show because all the <laughs> all the headlines this are so bad. The stock market's like in below 20,000 on the Dow. I mean, this is this is rough stuff. What's what's the Harsanyi? We're all going to be OK scenario not, not scenario, but the, what, what, what's your best case to make that we're all going to be OK? yesterday that was just horrifying right so I'm, I'm in bed reading it on my phone and i'm like oh my god we're, we're definitely all going to die it's the worst thing and then i turn to the next thing i read and it was like much more positive i'm like it's going to be okay and I, i'm on this roller coaster now for weeks it's like we're all going to die we're all going to be okay my view is that uh you know that we as humans and we especially as americans learn quickly how to deal with these things we have the kind of massive economic strength and and the type of people and i don't want to sound idealistic but i actually believe this to be true that we'll quickly figure out ways to mitigate this thing and that uh, you know my my rosy scenario is that we're going to get over it uh because we will because we have to and that because there was no i mean it depends how long it goes obviously but because there's really no reason for the economy to be in bad shape other than this thing very quickly people will rebound and come up with you know that the economy will start growing and people will, you know, bouncing back, I mean, and people will uh, will be much, you know, will it, it will sort of 
be a way to spark the economy and hopefully, uh, you know, things rebound rather quickly. I, I think we might be in a situation where the very, in recent years, vilified uh, pharmaceutical sector uh, might be, not, I, people keep talking about the vaccine, vaccine, you can't rush it because if you rush it, you might end up killing everybody you give the vaccine to. So there's right. no, there is no rushing it, right? I mean, they're doing it as fast right. as they can without like 12, taking the 14 risk. months, yeah. Yeah, right. And and by the way, for those who are saying, oh, well, it's just worth the risk. Well, you could actually start creating strains of effectively super virus, too. Like there, there's actual risk that if you give people the wrong vaccine, then that disease will not only take hold in that person, but also might mutate within them. So, I mean, there's real you can't. I've been reading about vaccine stuff nonstop in recent days. Uh, but therapeutics, meaning keeping people's lungs from effectively, you know, drowning from the inside out from this disease I think Gilead Pharmaceuticals has something that's already been used for other uh, other viruses or testing that if we get a therapeutic that just prevents people from having to worry about hospitalization and dying, which would effectively make this like the flu. Um, well, I know the flu kills people, too, but it would make it, you know, a lesser extreme uh, on the virus spectrum. Pharmaceutical company might be in a position to kind of save the world and maybe civilization, David. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they do that all the time with other diseases as well. I mean, you know, we basically, you know, AIDS is no longer a death sentence, et cetera. I mean, I, I don't know that people understand, you know, this vilification of pharmaceutical companies and, and, and their profit mongering. Without the profit motive, you're not getting any of this stuff. So it's ridiculous. You know, I'm not saying that pharmaceutical companies always, you know, act in your best interest, a lot of rent seeking, a lot of stuff like that. But overall, of course, they're they're amazing. And, yeah, you know, there's a lot of talk and I don't know specifics, so I don't get into it. But in South Korea, that they have found sort of a, like a cocktail of, of, of drugs that help mitigate, mitigate, uh, you the know, symptoms. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's so, really what we got. Yeah. 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 So therapeutic stuff. I mean. I think we're, you know, I have faith that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do those things because we, we always do, right? It's not the first time we've had to deal with the disease. So, uh, but right now I think it's important that people you know, stay away from each other so that we don't really overwhelm the system. I think that's the main source of, you know, uh, you know, the, the, that's the scariest thing because you don't have the ventilators, et cetera. So we might have to, we might have to like brand your segment, you know, weekly, David, hope from Harsanyi, you know, we're all going <laughs> to <laughs> I'm, usually pretty, I'm usually pretty optimistic in general, but uh, when you don't know, you know, you, you know, this is something outside the norm, right? You know, no, you don't know what's going to happen, and we have to be really careful. I, I think at some point you're right. You know, you, you can sink the economy to the extent that you're in a depression, and then people aren't going to want to do that who feel relatively safe, and that's going to be a problem because you're going to end up killing all your grandparents, etc. David Hersani, everybody, senior writer, National Review. David, thanks so much as always, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So I, I wanted to just tell you some interesting backstory on how we got to the point where the Chinese, uh, the Chinese government was allowing for these, these wet markets. And the more you learn about them, the more just stunning the whole situation is. And it stretches back to the 1970s. The Chinese Communist Party used to be um, used to be in charge of all agriculture. Right. And the result of that was that there was there was mass starvation and they had ideas like the four pests campaign, 
which was taken during the Great Leap Forward, 1958 to 1962, where they were trying to get rid of all um, mosquitoes, which I'm actually down for that, but turns out mosquitoes are necessary, sparrows, rats, and flies. And uh, they, you know, they, they thought that the sparrows were eating too much grain, and so they're going to kill all the sparrows and they'd have more food. Uh, but as a result of that, the population of locusts got completely out of control and swarmed the country and resulted in deforestation and famine and just complete and utter calamity. Terrible ideas from the Chinese Communist Party, things like that, the four pests campaign. Uh, and it's just a horrifically stupid idea. But the Chinese Communist Party had lots of those. So they turned over agriculture to private interests in the 70s, so allowed for private farming. But then uh, this was consolidated into some private industries, probably people who were connections in the, in the Communist Party, effectively gave them uh, you know, state-sanctioned monopolies to produce food. And so at the local level, the Chinese peasants started raising exotic animals. Not that exotic at first, things like turtles, snakes, small reptiles they actually were taking in wild animals and then breeding them for food and creating their own little cottage industry of exotic meat essentially and then this grew over time and it became uh, culturally ingrained in some parts of china and you started to also have these markets where they would bring all these animals that are not domesticated that have not been bred for this purpose they're incredibly un, they're un, unclean uh, circumstances. Uh, you can see photos and videos of it. It's it's pretty grotesque. But, you know, they'll have just cages atop cages. And there's just I mean, there's a uh, waste everywhere. And they also then started bringing in truly exotic, including endangered animals. And you'd be able to go to some of these wet markets and they would buy you could buy civets, which are uh, threatened species. Uh, Tigers, you can buy all these really rare, rare animals at a, at, a, at a premium for food in these markets because it's easy to hide them among the shipping in of all these different rare animals that nobody would. And the Chinese government kind of turned a blind eye to it for a long time. It was like, OK, well, this is just, you know, a way that people are making money and, you know, not not really a big deal. And then the the in the year, I think it was the early 2000s. They basically said, uh, OK, well, this is now a natural resource of China. And so the government sanctioned the continued trade in, in these exotic animals for food again. And they would bring them in live. They're not even bringing it's not like they're just trading. You have to remember, they're not bringing meat to the market. They're bringing them in live animals in cages. That's why they call it a wet market, because they killed them right there. I mean, this is look, it's. It's uncivilized stuff that's going on. I mean, this is not good. And it has obviously resulted in a... Uh, and look, I know people could talk about American factory farming, or, but, you know, we're talking about domesticated animals that we all eat, and there's a sense of, uh, you know, you know what diseases you're working with in that animal population. Zoonotic transmission is so much easier when you're bringing hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of animals alive into cramped conditions and then having people handle them and then eat them. So this is this is China's the Chinese government is responsible uh, for a lot of what has gone wrong here. And we will not forget that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Bernie Sanders suspends his campaign, everybody. Got some political news for you today. I know we're taking a little break from the gloom and doom of the world is collapsing all around us. Uh, Bernie Sanders suspending it because he can't win. And we all know that at this point. Bernie Sanders not going to be able to make it happen, cannot win. There's not going to be some last minute. But I don't even know. Is there going to be a Democratic convention? Are people going to show up to this thing? Is, you know, who knows where we're going to be with all of this? But uh, Sanders is quitting the race. And that then is, I think, all that you need to know about where this Democratic primary is going. It's going to be Joe Biden. I, I just it's so amazing to me that we're a country of 320 million people and the Democrats have so many, uh, you know, so many very wealthy, very influential not just politicians, but people who are who are vocal Democrats. And the best thing they can come up with is the least imaginative, the least inspiring and the least confidence building at a time when we really need a lot of that in our leadership. I've said this in the beginning and I continue to say it now. I am thankful that we have Donald Trump handling this crisis and not Joe Biden. I'm not saying that Joe Biden wouldn't want to. I think any politician would do their best with this. I think I think that Donald Trump honestly is more capable and is a better executive than Joe Biden. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident that I'm not. But yeah, Bernie is out after all the all the talk of how, you know, he was the the candidate who's going to win and he's going to be able to beat Trump. And he uh, about a month ago was almost inevitable, it seemed. Winning those early states, Biden having terrible showings, but in the big Democrat strongholds, they really they just they just want a return to Obamaism. I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. They want things to go back to the way they used to be in their minds when Barack Obama was in charge. And the closest thing that they can have to that is Joe Biden as president of the United States. Who's his VP going to be? Well, that will certainly be interesting, won't it? Now, a lot of, I've been saying that Hillary would be an interesting choice for him. And you got to figure that she'd have a lot of. But, you know, maybe given the direction of the country right now, they'll want someone younger. Maybe they'll want someone to represent the, the younger generation and, and bring a different uh, age perspective and dynamic into this uh, into this situation. So, I mean, last night, Ohio didn't even have its primary. I think they pushed it to June. You had Illinois and a handful of other states that did have their primaries. No one's even really paying attention. It's going to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden is going to be the Democrat nominee for president. It's amazing. Here we are. This guy's been running for president since the 80s. And I I guess in a sense, maybe his persistence, his just dogged persistence in the face of what I think others would consider to be good judgment. uh, Maybe it's paying off. I also and not to bring this back to our primary discussion right now, uh, which is not just here. It's everywhere. Right. I mean, there's nothing. Nothing even comes close to the Wuhan virus in terms of our attention and urgency and the economic fallout of it, the risks to our vulnerable population. Look, the risks to all of us, not just the vulnerable population. As I've been telling you, healthy 25-year-olds can die from the flu. So that means they can definitely die from this, too. I think these people who are thinking, who cares if I get it, uh, are really being dumb. Would you say that about the flu? Oh, yeah, there's a flu string going around the office. I'm going to go in there and just get it because, you know, who cares? I'll probably be okay. Anybody who's had the flu, and I have in recent memory, you really don't want that. 
Uh, I actually got the flu when I started my syndicated radio show, like about a week or two before. It was it was miserable. So I remember what that was like. Um, we have these uh, these two candidates now, Trump and Biden, and they're look, they're both in the high risk population and they're going to be out there. They're going to have to be interacting with people. They have to keep doing their jobs. And it's going to feel like a, a national political crisis if, in fact, one or or both of the leaders of their respective parties comes down with COVID-19. And I do think we have to take that possibility seriously. I know they're taking it seriously. They're taking the temperature of journalists as they go in to the briefing room for the White House now for in the West Wing. So, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a, a political campaign unlike anything else we've ever seen because... People are already talking about the possibility of online voting. And now you really, you know, when you got paper ballots and people showing up hacking and, you know, the Russians and all this, that's that's a lot of honestly, a lot of hoopla, a lot of whatever. Uh, if you're really going to do it all online, that gets a little trickier. That then me and, and, and could we even set up this cyber infrastructure in, in order to do that? Now, people are going to say, oh, that's not going to happen. Well, we'll see. I don't think anybody thought a month ago that there was going to be a shutdown of schools, hotels, restaurants, everything shutting down, basically, except for a, a critical life services. Um, so Bernie Sanders is going to be out. They'll get back to the political thread here for a moment. He looks like he, he's finished. And I can already see where this is heading. I think a lot of you probably recognize this at this stage, too. You know what the Democratic campaign is going to be this summer? Going into the fall? A new New Deal. They're going to say this is like the Great Depression and World War II, and we need a New Deal. And all the analysis, all the research that shows that many of the government actions taken during the New Deal worsened the Great Depression, that will all be uh, suppressed, forgotten, refuted, ignored. And they're going to say... That what really needs to happen here. They're going to be running on a platform of the most massive government expansion of our lives. And with that, a lot of socialism. Crisis leads to radical change. The Democratic Party has been getting ready for radical change for a long time, even though Bernie Sanders would not be the standard bearer of this. And look back at Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He's somebody who the left you know, reveres, even though put Japanese-Americans in internment camps and did extreme things during World War II, uh, he is revered mostly not, not because of his actions in World War II so much as the New Deal here at home. And when you look at that, that enormous expansion of the government, the Democrats are not going to be able to help themselves from trying to use this crisis as an opportunity to do that all over again. Take what was done 100 years ago, roughly. I mean, a little, you know, a little less than 100 years ago, but 90 years ago with the New Deal and go forward with a dramatic expansion of all of the aspects of it that they think can, you know, and, and they'll, they'll talk about great. You'll, you'll be hearing about green jobs and how the government should be paying people to put solar panels on rooftops everywhere. And, you know, there's going to be all this stuff. We, we are going to be having a replay here of some of the the big debates about government and the role of government from crisis periods in the 20th century. We're going to be replaying that now. So you heard it here, my friends. Democrats are going to be advocating for a, a new New Deal. 
And I don't think they're going to call it the Green New Deal overall, but they're, they're going to have some rollout of it, some name of it. And Joe Biden, who they claim is a moderate, but is actually not moderate on his positions at all because he's where the Democratic Party is. The Democratic Party is not moderate. Joe Biden is going to be advocating for a massive expansion of government. And, you know, that is going to be um, that, that that's going to be the platform. I mean, they're going to go forward. Forget about this. You know, uh, it, so in a sense, it'll be a return to Obamaism insofar as what would Obama do if he were faced with this crisis right now? We saw what they did in the 2008 financial crisis, just turn it into an opportunity to expand government spending all over the place. I mean, Obama spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars um, on items that the Democratic Party had wanted for a long time. So Biden is effectively going to carry that mantle now as he's got even he's got an even better crisis if he wins to remake the American economy, expand government dramatically and turn us into a European style social welfare state with uh, very you know, centralized control of the private sector by the government. So there we go. Um, I'd also say on, I, I meant to tell you about the, the good side uh, and I kind of skipped past it. The way this gets better fast, if we're pretty good about the lockdowns, we're going to be okay. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be very scary for a while. But the only way that this gets like uh, we're celebrating in the streets and everything's going to be cool is in, in the next, let's say, three to six months would be if they develop some ways of treating this where you go to the hospital if you can't breathe, they give you the drugs and, you know, you have a even if you are in the critical risk population, you end up having a, you know, 90, you know, if you have a 99 percent chance of survival with the treatment with the antiviral drugs that they can give you. If we get to that point, things get better really fast. Um, and, uh, you know, that's so if there's ever been a time when we could call together all of the best you know, minds in the world on microbiology, virology, you, you name it. I mean, whatever the epidemiology um, the, the people that have real expertise in this, we need them to come together like the like the Avengers and just do every and the big pharmaceutical companies. We need them to come up with something here to deal with this. We need all the expertise of the world brought together on this one. I mean, this is the closest thing I've ever seen or felt to that that moment in the movie Armageddon where they bring together all these guys and they have to drill into the asteroid and, you know, put the nuclear device into the whole thing. We need a team of like the best deep core drillers on the world, except they're the best virologists in the world. People that study this and come up and, and team up with the smartest multinational pharmaceutical companies and have some treatment for this. Uh, the treatment is much more likely to come online quickly than I mean, a vaccine is just not going to come online quickly because the risk is too high. As I said, that you're going to kill people by giving them even if the risk is low that you're going to kill people. Who, who wants to take the possibility that you're going to give them a heightened form of this disease and you might not find out for 30 or 60 days after they get it and you're going to give it to millions of people? I mean, that's it's just not they need to be sure. That's what they're going to say. We might get to the point. I mean, I wonder when people just want they'll want to take the risk themselves and just say, you know, inject me. I don't care. I don't know. 
we could we could be heading for those kinds of extreme measures. But let's just I am hoping that there will be within 60 days a breakthrough on the treatment of this, not the not a cure, not a vaccine, but a breakthrough on the treatment of it would be a huge sigh of relief for the whole world right now, particularly here in the United States. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Really does stun me to what degree the Democratic establishment continues to ignore the needs and the ideas of younger people. And if elected president, by the way, it's not only that we're going to fight for our agenda, we're going to involve young people in the decision-making process in a way this country has never seen before, because this is a great generation. So those are major achievements. We've changed the political dialogue in this country. We are winning overwhelmingly the support of young people. And they're all going to be told now, go vote for Joe Biden. The the Bernie coalition is going to be handed over to the Democrat establishment, as I think was really just expected and planned all along. Uh, None of this really surprises me. Uh, I think this is this is really what we should have been thinking uh, all along was going to happen in in a way. I mean, it's easy now. Hindsight's 2020. It's easy to say that, but it all makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, sure. We're all radicals, but we're not really going to let this like crazy old socialist. We're going to put it in the hands of a. too old for the job career machine democrat politician like biden not the guy running around talking about revolution gonna be a revolution yeah bernie style um also we heard from the governor we haven't heard from him in a long time but he has uh, a couple of pet donkeys that he's hanging out with. And here is his message to all of us who are stuck in quarantine. Play 20. See, the important thing is that you stay at home because there's a curfew now. Okay, no one is allowed out, especially someone that is like 72 years old. After you're 65, you're not allowed out of the house anymore in California. So we stay home and we eat here, right? Oh, yeah, that's yummy. I eat with the whiskey and there's Lulu. Moodle loves carrots. Whiskey loves carrots. I just had my little bit of vegan food. Oh, that was yummy, huh? Oh, see, that's what we do. We don't go out. We don't go to restaurants. We don't do anything like that anymore here. We just eat with whiskey and with Lulu. We have a good time. We get entertained. Look at that beautiful smile she has. Huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, the yummies, huh? And we have a good time eating here together. So much more fun than going outside. No more restaurants, okay? No more restaurants. Forget all that. Public gatherings, restaurants, and all this gymnasiums out the window. You stay home. You stay home. You stay home with the donkeys. You stay home with them and you feed whiskey and, and Lulu the, the best of the things that you can... Uh, yeah. Schwarzenegger, 72, man. I spent so much of my youth watching that guy in movies. It was, it's incredible in retrospect. I watched him in the Terminator, Commando, Predator. I watched him in, uh, Total Recall. I feel like no one watches that one anymore, but I watched that movie a lot of times. We, I own these on V, or my, my brothers and I own these on VHS. That's why I'm such an action movie junkie to this day. Um, but he's saying, stay home with your donkeys. I don't have donkeys. It, 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 I wish you could see the video. The video is amazing. He's got these little donkeys with him. 
<laughs> Which is like, producer Mark, if I gave you a pet donkey to take home, would that keep you and, and uh, Mrs. Mark, would it keep you guys company, or would you rather not have livestock in the house right now? I'd rather maybe a dog. You go dog yeah. first, yeah? yeah? But if your only choice was a miniature donkey or nothing, what would you take? Um, maybe, maybe the donkey right now, because uh, right? the, the wife's still on Long Island, so I'm a little, a little lonely. So you're solo. Yeah, see, this is like, I yeah. took my parents' Frenchie Tulu. Lulu is the name of his donkey, which I think is pretty funny. We've got Tulu for Tulula, and those of you that watch on the, on the Pluto TV stream, the show, um, Pluto TV channel 248, the first, those of you who haven't, it's a free app, guys, download it. You can watch the video of me doing the mobile Freedom Hut, the quarantine Freedom Hut. Um, but Tulu sometimes appears in the shot. She likes to. She also likes to walk over and and put her belly on my feet when I'm doing the show. That's like her favorite position for whatever reason. I don't know why, but she likes to do these things. But it's nice to have a little a little furry companion. Except when she wakes me up because she wants producer Mark. Not only I told you about the headbutting the food bowl, uh, which is crazy. And now I've learned I've got to have a very precise mix of dry and wet food for her in her bowl, or else she'll start headbutting the bowl all over my apartment like a bull. I guess she is a bulldog, but that's for different reasons. Um, if I have any door to any room in the apartment closed, she'll wake me up and she'll scratch at the door until I leave it open. She wants access everywhere. Nothing is allowed to be off limits to her. That's every dog. You can't really? close doors. Yeah, they don't like they don't like closed doors. I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's she. If I if I try to close the bathroom, she doesn't obviously go in the bathroom for any important reason. We haven't trained her to like sit on the potty yet. But uh, if, if the bathroom door is closed, she will scratch it and make me open it. I'm like, what is this? You mean don't you know. don't like going to the bathroom with your dog? No. See, I like to close the door. But, but more to the point, even if no one's in there, she just insists on the door being open. Hmm. She wants, that's what I'm saying. She wants free access to every room in the apartment or else she'll drive me nuts until I do it. You know, I, I don't know. I think she's, maybe it's just she's very French, but this is the way we're doing no, it. She's All just right, very we, curious. Yeah, we got roll call coming up. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we got to do a, an on-air I mean, I don't know if it's it's not a correction because we're just telling you what, what had been reported. Axios has now retracted that Sanders suspended his campaign. So as you hear this, you know, maybe maybe that that will be unretracted. But now it is retracted. So, look, Bernie's not going to be the nominee. He might as well quit. The whole thing's a joke at this point. And honestly, nobody cares because we're all stuck indoors and hoping that humanity doesn't come to an end. I'm just saying. Let's do roll call, everybody. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. All right, Roll Call, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at I heart media.com james kicks it off for us james is a great name it's actually technically my first name learn something new every day on this show you know that the end is near when tom brady isn't a patriot st patrick's day and bars are closed and march madness is a virus sanitize shields high yeah man you guys all know i told you i i did shows you're probably like buck you almost sound euphoric i was like guys the country we're in great shape things are amazing you know three months ago six months ago nine months ago 
I kept telling you, I kept telling you, you know it, it's true. Producer Mark, wasn't I telling people things are as good as they're going to get in this country for a long time? It's true. I was a happy man. I was telling everybody it's not going to last forever. Yesterday, something great happened. What was that? Tom Brady left the Patriots. Oh, yeah. See, Hmm. there are good things, I guess, that still go on. Uh, He's going to the Buccaneers. Yeah. Um, Do you think they're going to have like a like a four and 12 season now? No, I think they'll be uh, pretty good. I just don't get why the Buccaneers. I mean, how many years could he possibly have left? Two, three? I mean, the guy's in a machine. I could see him playing till 50. He said he wants to play till he's 50. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. He's 43 now. But, I mean, the Buccaneers, they're an okay team right now. I, I, I don't know how much better Brady makes them at this point in his career. Yeah, that's a fair point. All right. Kelly. Buck, I've been a loyal listener for about three years, and I never miss a podcast. I was mowing the lawn today and met a neighbor named Rose from the Philippines. She's from the Philippines and has only been in the States for about a year and a half. She told me she applied for her visa to come to the States when she was 17. She waited 24 years for it to be approved and even turned down marriage proposals because it may have affected her place in line to come to the States. She's single and living with her sister at age 42. She had nothing good to say about those who cheat by claiming asylum and is incensed by their claims of rights. She says, what rights do they have when they're lawbreakers from the start? It was a very enlightening conversation. Shields high. Kelly, I've brought this up many times. Legal immigrants who go through a real struggle to get into this country and be able to stay here have, uh, have, you know, they have this feeling that they're chumps because they actually did it the right way. They did it the way this country asked them to. The people of this country asked them to. So I'm glad you were able to have that enlightening conversation. Uh, it's not surprising that somebody who went through all of that process feels that way. And it's just a reminder to all of us that, you know, the rules either apply, you know, the law is either the law or it's not. It can't be this both ways or only sometimes. And, and there's a lot of lawlessness in immigration law specifically. And, and the uh, open borders crowd is going to have a really tough time explaining why we shouldn't have control of our borders when it seems like border controls may have been one of the few things early on we got right in dealing with this pandemic. Tim writes, why doesn't the president require 10 or 20 billion dollars for border wall and enforcement in the bill being hammered out with the House Democrats? It's being larded up with so much ridiculous fever swamp dream lib fantasies. Trump should say he'll sign it when they put it uh, when they put in border enforcement and wall funding. We could help the economy by creating jobs too. Canada just closed their borders to any non-resident, non-citizen folk. So border security must work to control zoonotic disease and pandemic migration. We should certainly follow Canada and Europe's lead since libs always want to emulate both and gain some control over our borders and not waste a good crisis. Shields high. Yeah. Tim. Yep. That's uh, that's true about the borders. Um, the president is not going to be able to try to slip in the Congress right now. They're, they're just look if Republicans have to be the bigger the bigger people on this one or you know take the high road on this one by not larding it up i, I think that we we just got to get this thing done and get it done properly we need emergency financial measures to keep this country from collapsing Doug hey buck sobering insightful and entertaining podcast last week thank you with some downtime i have been able to go back and listen to past podcasts from the freedom hut i missed last year wow Things uh, now that things have played out, your prognostications were dead on Mueller impeachment, Democrat candidates, you name it. Not surprised, but even more impressed. Good job. Thank you very much, Doug. I will say my um, anything that had to do with national security investigations or just national security in general. Notice how I was not 
panicked about the Kurds in Syria. I was right. Um, I was not. I, I was correct at every. And look, I'm not sitting here to talk about how wonderful I am. I don't do that. Other hosts do that. I wish people would recognize it's kind of weird, but other hosts are always talking. About, oh, I'm amazing. There's only one host who should walk around being like, I'm the most amazing at this. And we all know we all know who he is. Um, and uh, everyone else should should have uh, some serious humility, I think, no matter how rich or famous you may be. Um, but I've been right on everything having to do with the Mueller probe from day one, from the very beginning. Even more right than some of the people who now, you know, I, I, I tweeted out uh, to, I haven't heard back from, from Hugh Hewitt. I tweeted out, and look, I'm not, I don't have any problem with Hugh Hewitt. He seems like a nice guy. I've never met him, but I mean, I've, I've heard he's a nice enough dude. Uh, but, you know, he came at me kind of hard when I said that the indictment of the Russian troll farm was a PR stunt and was going to go nowhere. And it was, and I was right. And he's a constitutional law scholar who taught at Harvard. I don't even have a law degree. But I know more about national security than he does. So I was right. So there's that. Um, anyway, Ryan. Hey, Buck. Serious questions about the Chinese virus. From what I'm reading, they're a little uh, reading. It says reading. That's not my fault. Reading. There are a little over 7000 deaths worldwide. I believe it started in November of 2017. However, when you look at flu deaths, we're at one hundred nine thousand globally for 2020. Am I missing something? Why the mass hysteria over something that is killing not even 10 percent of what the flu has in a short time frame got my shields of skepticism real high on this one election year hysteria look ryan important always to ask why and i think people that approach any of these questions in good faith are well within their rights to continue to ask for more information and more more uh more of a really a justification for why we're taking these steps so here's here's where it's at the flu we take no precautions whatsoever really as a society to avoid we essentially have like free flowing flu all over the place and you just hope you don't get it. But this disease uh, is 10 times as lethal, maybe 20 times as lethal as the flu. So you're going to have a much if you do that, you're going to have a much, much higher body count. There's also the belief right now in the scientific community that it is more easily transmitted than the flu now I, you know who knows that might be adjusted but so you might have a higher number of infected in the overall population and a much higher number of deaths and remember the deaths number isn't from a structural medical standpoint isn't necessarily the thing the only thing that you have to focus on there's also icu admissions people that have to be in the icu for three or four weeks on a ventilator because they get COVID-19, they are, um, you know, that, that's a huge drain on the system. And we need to give people that care, obviously, but we can only give so many people that care. There's only so many beds. You know, this is where the Sander Nistas and the promise of universal health care and free health care for everyone. OK, everyone gets free health care, according to the government. What happens when you have a thousand sick people and you only have 10 doctors for them? What happens when you have 10,000 people that need ICU care and you've got 5,000 ICU beds? You're going to wave around the Bernie Sanders proclamation that everybody gets free health care. Exactly. So this is a lesson for all of us in that regard. Um, but the to really get to the meat of your question, if we wait on this, by the time we know that all these estimates are correct, as in 10 to 20 times the fatality rate, higher transmissibility, by the time we get there, it's too late and you won't be able to stop the. Uh, the collapse, at least temporarily, of the healthcare system 
and mass casualties, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands dead from this in a month. So that's where we are. Um, as I've been saying, if a few weeks pass and, you know, who knows? There, oh, uh, one other part of possible good news. Something we really need to find out is, is, do you have immunity to this if you get it and you get through it? They won't, they won't confirm that yet. I'd like to think the answer is yes. They're saying they don't know. Well, then what we might have to, what we might have are a lot of people who will be immune to it when they recover. And we're going to need those people, especially if they're younger and healthy, to really step up and help out with every, you know, do a lot. It's going to be, and I'm hoping there'll be millions of people that if this spreads the way they say it's going to, the young and healthy who get it, and there, there could be, you know, there could be millions of them. Uh, would be able to be out there and, you know, continue necessary services and do things for, uh, for the rest of the, of, the, of the vulnerable population that we really need to keep sequestered away. Um, but, yeah, we can't, we can't take the risk right now is essentially the answer to your question, Ryan. Because if they're right, it's going to be catastrophic. If they're right that the numbers are going to spike in this way and overwhelm the healthcare system. Because remember... 10 ventilators, 20 patients who need them, they show up. Guess what? No ventilator, you can't breathe. Maybe you've got hours to live. Maybe, maybe even less. So you're, you're just, you're going to, people are going to die. That's what's going to happen. They're just not going to have, what's the doctor going to do? Pull the ventilator out of one person, let them die so that somebody else gets a ventilator? I mean, this is, this is what is happening in Italy. So that's where we are. Italy has made this whole thing uh, very different in a lot of people's minds because we're seeing this play out. We have real numbers. We trust the Italian government's uh, reporting on this a lot more than we trust the Chinese government. And Italy has a you know, first world healthcare system, very developed, uh, similar to our own, you know, world class doctors, serious medical facilities. And they're completely shell shocked by this. So that's what really that looked. Italy was that was the change in, for me was Oh, okay. No, this we're about to get hit with a tidal wave. This is real. And I, I look, if I'm wrong, just stay with me here, team, as you have many of you have now for years. I'm going on. It'll be this June, the ninth year that I've been in this business. And I think the eighth year I've been doing radio. So some of you have been with me a long time. And you know that if I'm wrong on this, not only will I admit it, I'll be thrilled. I'll be doing a little buck dance here in the Freedom Hut going wild. If it turns out that this is not nearly as bad and all this stuff was, uh, you know, uh, excessive and everything else, as I've told you, I think the chance of that happening is about one percent. Dan, dear Buck, thanks so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge with all of us that tune in. Love your show most out of any on the TV or the radio. I ran out of current podcasts to listen to. So I was listening to some oldies but goodies and I was listening to podcasts entitled The, the Impeachment Turkeys Cooked. I'm sure you remember what you said that day at approximately 21 minutes in. Uh, just in case you don't remember, you were talking about how things were going so good for our country, but you had this ominous feeling that something bad was going to happen this year. Well, you were right. Some prophet you turned out to be. Just wanted to remind you of that. Thanks again for entertaining us and enlightening us. You are the best. <sighs> That's kind of what I've been saying, guys. I knew that, you know, Mark, can we pull, pull, let's pull from that, um, you know, 21 minutes in on the impeachment turkeys cook. Let's, sure. let's grab that audio for tomorrow just so I can hear back what I said, because I, I had this feeling. I remember I, I had a feeling before 9-11 um, and I'm telling you like weeks before 9-11. I'm not trying to say that I'm, you know, have premonitions or something. But I remember thinking, you know, what my generation and we're all just 
we're all just running around. We're kind of superficial. We're just partying. You know, what's our great fight? What's our great struggle? You know, you know, the stock market, you know, is seeing. Well, I mean, obviously, there was a big tech tech sector collapse. But, you know, overall, the economy was strong and we didn't have any enemies. And there was just this sense of an almost blase euphoria. And I thought, what? what? And I wasn't thinking that something terrible was going to happen. That, by the way, I won't say that. But I was thinking like, man, we just don't. There is no fight for this generation. And then the planes ran into the towers in the Pentagon a few weeks later. I mean, I'm really and I'm like, oh, my generation, certainly. And the generation above me and the generation above that, we certainly have a fight on our hands. And we did. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, we get Jack. It's really one of my favorite names. I think Jack's a great name. Buck, you asked for feedback from listeners around the country. I find myself in the disappointing position of being in ground zero for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, Williamsburg has nine confirmed cases and one death. The schools have been closed for two weeks to start with. Most government offices closed at noon on Friday and will be closed Monday. Local businesses are feeling the hit. Grocery stores have some empty shelves, but not overwhelming numbers. In my neighborhood, more people are walking, which can't be a bad thing. I'm working on my wood lathe more. Never let a crisis pass. Yeah, Jack, I, I want to do more of that. You know, tomorrow in the third hour, I'll talk to you about how I'm, I'm going to try to make a list and actually put it on, up on the wall of what do I want to accomplish during this time of social distancing? What do I want to accomplish? And by the way, another thing that I've been saying or thinking about I'm going to do, I'm going to start doing it. Team, I'd like to do some uh, Facebook Live with all of you where I just sit and we hang out and talk. You know, this will be our way of dealing with social distancing. It's easy. Obviously, I've got a setup at home where I can do this now. So some of you write to me and let me know, you know, is the best time in the evening? That's probably when I'm most likely to do it. Um, you know, maybe around seven eastern so anybody's done with their work day i know a lot of people are working from home now but that i don't want to interrupt family time but you know there's also everyone's home all day with their family so maybe and you're not seeing family that you don't live near anymore because you're not traveling so I, I don't know i'm just trying to think of when the best time is to do this but i want to have more interaction with all of you and i also want to start uh i'll, I'll pull together the 10 books you must read during quarantine how about that that's a good a good thing for us to have um I'll, I'll pull the, some of them will be books I've already or books I've already read. Uh, others won't. I mean, I, I will tell you that one book that I've already set aside for my quarantine and you're going to say, I can't believe you haven't read that. And I'm that's why I'm reading it, guys. I admit there are some weird book gap book uh, book gaps, gap books, book gaps that I've missed. Buck speak English. Good. Uh, Moby Dick never assigned it, never read it. I'm going to be reading Moby Dick while I'm in self-quarantine. Uh, and I'll tell you what I think about that one. I'm obviously watching a fair amount of shows. I've gotten into this show, The Boys. And we'll talk more about this. I mean, guys, I think this is uh, important for all of us. And I want to hear from all of you. And I, I can see more people writing into Roll Call. Please do that. It is my, you are my connection to the outside world right now. All of you who listen to this, who write in, who watch us. And we're just going to try to find more ways, producer Mark and I, to you know, have community and be, you know, you can always address something directly, you know, to producer Mark, if you want and roll call to, to get one of his salty answers. So, you know, guys reach out to us. We're going to be reaching out to you every day and we'll be back here tomorrow. We're all on this together. Shields high.